So, today, John one. You guys, anybody here Marvel movie fans? Have you seen the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the original? Oh, yeah. So, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, in that first scene, where he's got the old stone Walkman on, and he's dancing mm -hmm. while he's going there, and he reaches over and grabs that, like, rat dinosaur sort of thing, you know, and he's singing into it. That first moment, you knew that this movie was going to be different than all of the other Marvel movies that had kind of gone before. Yeah. But there was something unique or different about this. Yeah. I would suggest to you that from the first words of Jonah, you know there's something different about this book that's part of the Minor Prophets than all of the rest of the books that are part of the Minor Prophets. Now, Jonah's one of the Minor Prophets. It's 12 prophets, and oftentimes you would say they would call it the Minor Prophets Scroll. So all of these 12s, these 12, in, in, in Hebrew tradition would be treated as a unit. They would be on one scroll together. And so there's something different, something unique about Jonah. And I think uh, one of the things you realize right away, God speaks and you go, okay, that seems good. And then when Jonah responds, you are immediately meant to go, okay, this is weird. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do today. I want you guys just to huddle up. Get into groups of four, five. Don't really try not to do more than five. I would suggest more than two. But let, you know, less than six. Just informally kind of just huddle up. Here's what I'd like you to do. Okay? I'd like you to read out loud together the first chapter of Jonah. Okay? And so basically in the manuscript kind of thing that you have, um, it'll go, uh, let me look at it really quickly. First chapter of Jonah. Oh, thanks. You're going to go... Where it says, then they, the men feared the Lord even more and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's where you stop. You got two lines on the back page. So it's the whole first page and then two lines on the, the first side. Hmm? That's not the whole first chapter. Huh? There's one more verse, 17. Okay. But the Lord provided. <laughs> Correct. We're going to talk about that. Hebrew tradition treats those. The Hebrew tradition treats that verse as part of chapter 2. And if you look at it, you've got Jonah being eaten by the fish. And then at the end of chapter 2, it would be Jonah being spit out by the fish. It makes a nice little bookmark. Okay? So that's why I'm going to ask you to stop where you are. Okay? You're stopping at 6 Yep. So if you would... Um, and here's the thing. If you don't have your journal, we've got some over here. I would suggest, I mean, you're welcome to use your Bibles. But I would suggest use the paper because then you can mark it up, right? Write questions on it. Mark it up. Be able to kind of work through it. You can just stay in your groups if you want to. What we're going to do, what I want to do is I just want us to talk through. I want you to be able to share some of what you've been talking about in your group with everybody. Mm -hmm. So, as you were talking, what is it that surprises you about this text? 
the fact that Jonah is a prophet, he's probably used to hearing from the Lord. He knows the way it should go, but he decides to totally go the opposite way. Right. Right. So you have a prophet that totally just goes rogue. Right. Good. Anybody else? What surprises you? That Jonah, that Jonah thinks God can't see him, even though he knows differently. Because he says, well, you know, he's running from God, and God can't see me now. But he knows different. Hold on just a second. Um, the pagans' faith is amazing. They fear the Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right, so let's talk about that for a little bit. How do they get to that point of fearing the Lord? What happens? How does that develop? Well, I, I said it's partly because they, they saw God's reaction to his disobedience. So, you know, it was... Um, they, they saw that he responded. They, he told them that he was disobedient, and then they see this big storm, and they go, wow, we, it's like the manifestation of God's power mm -hmm. in bringing a storm because of his disobedience. Right. Yeah. They cast lots, and we were, we were discussing, is, were they wishy-washy? Because what if the lots had fell to someone else who worshipped the small G God? Right. I mean, the thing about it is, is that Old Testament, the casting of lots was one of the common ways that yes. people would discern, yes. like, a choice or things would get indicated. Um, the last time in Scripture you see this used is actually Acts 1. Mm -hmm. Right? In Acts 1, they're choosing an apostle to replace um, Judas. Right. Somebody who had been with them the whole time, and they cast lots, and it fell to the person, right? So that's the last time you see it. And actually, it wasn't necessarily even contained to just Judaism, right? To um, This is something that was common across. And so you have pagan sailors, right, doing what they would normally do to try to discern what in the world is going on. And God uses that to finger Jonah. I mean, it's pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah. 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 God using uh, pagan customs. Right. God working through pagan customs. <coughs> we think so much. We're the witnesses because we're going out of the church. Right. But once we get out there, we mean discover the what's outside witnesses to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. As you're sitting there, there's a progression that happens, right? That they are afraid because the storm hits. Let me let me pull up the text here really quickly. Let me grab it. If you look, there's actually a progression that happens with the sailors, right? Right, so God hurls a great wind upon the sea. The mariners were afraid and cried, each one cries to his God. They throw the cargo that was on there into, into the sea to lighten it. Jonah, meanwhile, sleeping. Right. That's the surprise. That's the surprise. Okay. Why are they protecting Jonah? Well, they're not. Yeah, right. I mean, right. They're the stuff off the board that, you know, the same in their lives, and Jonah's. 
they're the, the problem. They don't know what to do with them. Right, and, and here's the thing, right? You get the sense that Jonah knows he's the problem, but he's not saying anything. Right? And they come down and they're like, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up and pray to your God. They cast lots, it falls to Jonah. Right? Tell us what you've done. So it just continues to kind of to grow with them until the point in time they actually throw him overboard and the storm stops. Right? There's this progression that happens with them of their kind of coming to know, engage with the God of Israel for the first time to the point that they are worshiping him by the end. But you know, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to throw Jonah overboard because they kept trying to row to shore anyway. Right. You know, until that was, that last um, thought was exhausted, that's right. when they said, okay, over and, you go. Well, well, go ahead. I say they didn't, they didn't want to do it because um, they knew that they might be punished they didn't want to get in trouble. So they didn't want to get in trouble. Why? Why did, okay, so, why, right? They're Gentiles. They fear this God. Okay, right? They saw how powerful they They're seeing how powerful. But whose idea was it to go overboard? But then he didn't jump. Yeah. That's the main argument Right. Yeah, good point. Right. No, he's like, you guys throw me overboard. Yeah, he still wasn't willing to go. Right. But I also think he he had to, the sailors had to obey what God wanted them to do. They had to use their faith right. to throw him over. God used that right. to say, hey, if you're gonna believe in me, or if you're gonna honor me, whatever, right. you're gonna do this and you're gonna see that honoring me works. Right. Well, instead of just having Jonah. Right. Right. I mean, so you've got the prophet of God who's asking these pagan sailors to throw him overboard. Right. And they're the ones that are like, "Wait a minute. We don't want to kill anybody. We don't like. Why would we do this? Then why would you ask us to have you die? Right. It's more than just why, though. Because they'd be guilty of. Obey, disobeying uh, uh, Yahweh. Right, but, but again, it, it's almost like, it, but it doesn't necessarily in that text, if you look at it, right? Yeah. It doesn't say they, they said we would be guilty of innocent blood. Yes. We don't want to kill an innocent man. But was he innocent? No. no. Right? There's all these contradictions here. Right? And so in this first chapter, as we kind of wrestle with this, what we see is there's a lot of comparisons between Jonah and these sailors. Right? A lot more respect for life than he does. And right. He's going through a lot of trouble to try to save his one self. Right. Because he's running to avoid saving a whole city. Right, but yet he seems content to let God take out the whole ship. <laughs> <laughs> they're concerned that they're going to kill somebody that's innocent. And he seems perfectly fine to let the whole ship go down. They're Gentiles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if he's 
perfectly fine. He seems to be practically suicidal. He's <laughs> depressed. <laughs> he wants to die. He right. doesn't want to obey God, but he doesn't want he doesn't want to he maybe feels he's not worthy to live or willing to live in obedience to God and he'd rather just have it over. He's with, I don't think he cares about the ship. He doesn't care about Nineveh. Um, Why doesn't he care about Nineveh? But they're evil. they're evil. They're evil. Why are they evil? Beyond that, they've been oppressing Israel. Right. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're enemies. Right. Why would I save them? They've been hurting me for my people. <laughs> well, until they wake him up, he's content to be asleep and just let whatever happen happen. To the whole ship, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, Nineveh is one of the capitals of Assyria. Assyria is one of the rising powers of Jonah's day. And Assyria is known as an insanely brutal nation. When they come into a place, they absolutely brutalize people. They were very famous for impaling folks. They would take big trees, poles, right? And they would run them through and impale people and stick it up. So it wasn't like almost kind of like what we think of crucifixion in Roman times, right? But they were brutal. And when they came in, eventually, not too much longer after Jonah, Assyria is going to come in, and they're going to attack Israel, the northern kingdom, and they're going to brutalize it, and it's going to disappear off the face of the map. Because what Assyria does is Assyria takes the people they conquered and spread them out over their whole empire so that the people they conquer lose cohesiveness as a people. Right? Now, that's different than when the Babylonians take over Jerusalem, right? Yeah. The Babylonians take people back, and they begin to educate kind of the elites, right? Like, that's where you find Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're in Babylon. They're being trained in the ways of the Babylonians so they can go back and kind of become leaders. And you have communities of Jews living in Babylon, which is where actually Ezekiel is doing his ministry. Right, Ezekiel's prophetic ministry, the most of it is going to be among the exiles that are living in, a, in Jewish communities in Babylon. But Assyria's not like this. Assyria's brutal. Right? And God says, hey Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Because the cry of their evil has come up before me. Right? It's the same verbiage Hey, Moses, you're going to go to Egypt because I've heard the cry of my people and it's come up before me. It's the same verbiage of Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, Abraham, you know, should I keep from Abraham what I'm about to do? The cry has come up before me and I'm about to go down and judge. Right? It's the same verbiage. And so God says, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh. But you got, you're familiar where Tarshish is? Tarshish is southern Spain. <laughs> right? Tarshish is southern Spain. Like you, like literally remember in these days they didn't even know about North and South America, right? That's as far west as you could go in the world, right? Nineveh is east, and Jonah's like, I'm going west. 
And so it's amazing as you kind of walk through this. Why? You said John up here is almost suicidal. Why do you say that? Uh, maybe he feels judged himself because of his disobedience. Mm-hmm. Just get it over with. Uh, right. But he didn't jump. Hmm? He didn't do it himself. No, he didn't do he it himself. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. And that is one of the questions that you're left to wrestle with. He would rather die than go to Nineveh, but he's not going to take the responsibility that almost seems cowardice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a this this whole chapter as you kind of wrestle with this and compare it. It is he is almost courageously belligerent in his refusal to go to Nineveh. <laughs> yeah, we noticed he didn't do nothing. He won't. Right. Opposite. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've been talking about deconstruction, and I wonder if Jonah was going through his own deconstruction period. Because if we skip ahead to chapter four, he's mad because he knows from the very beginning right. that God's actual design is to save. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to. I want to do this. You're absolutely correct. Okay. I want us to live in the tension right now of chapter one. Right? Because as you read chapter one, you're left with the question of why is he running? Why would he do this? Why would he rather die? Like what is going on? Like he's willing, like you've got the prophet of God that's willing to take out a whole ship and not like he's hiding, he's refusing to come forward, right? They've got to pry it out of him as to what's going on. And then you get to this moment, and they're like, the sailor's like, what do we need to do so we can make this right? Like, your God is angry. Like, that's their worldview. Your God is angry. And uh, Jonah's like, well, you can throw me overboard. And so I think that's part of what we have to wrestle with. Is Jonah actually willing, being willing to like sacrifice himself so that the pagan sailors go free and they're saved? Or is Jonah basically saying, I would rather die than go to Nineveh? Okay, Jonah is a prophet, so Jonah knows both sides of what he's going to say. I think he knows that um, the people of Nineveh will turn themselves around and start believing in God. And I think uh, Jonah is afraid of losing faith because his prophet prophecy did not come true, and it was a great prophecy. And so he would rather die than lose faith and not be thought of as a prophet any longer. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? What do we do when what God asks us to do is not at all what we want to do? How do we handle that? I think it's all a paradox. All of this is a paradox. Yeah, I mean, in some ways you're right. Like, you got to um, 
sailors, right? Okay, praying. To, actually, they start praying to their gods, right? And of course, they didn't answer. Right, you know, for right. And that's the thing, right? So you have this journey. They're praying to their gods, and they end up finding out, oh my gosh, it's Jonah's god, right? You got them by the end willing to make vows and offer sacrifices, which most likely weren't going to happen right there on the ship because they'd thrown all the cargo overboard. <laughs> right? I mean, you're a cargo ship and you've pitched all the cargo overboard. So at this point in time, you've undergone great financial loss. Yes. Right? Yes. And they're still willing to be patient and they're still willing to dialogue with Jonah and they're still trying to find a way to save him. It's, it's, it's amazing just the way in these few words the picture that gets painted. Perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And they view it, interestingly enough, right? So in the ancient Near East, the way it usually works is a god has a territory over which this god reigns and rules. Okay? So if you go outside of that territory... That God no longer has power. Okay? So, for example, in the story in the Old Testament of Naaman, who comes from Syria and he is leprous and he washes himself in the Jordan River and God cures him, right? What does he do? He loads a wagon full of dirt from Israel so that he can take it back to Syria, where he's from, so that he can build an altar, shrine, place for him to worship Yahweh. The God who healed him. Why is he doing that? Because of that mindset of you needed dirt. There needed to be something physical. There needed to be that you need to have that for God to have power in that way. And so it's a it's an act of worship for him. What does Jonah say? I worship Yahweh, the God who made the land and the sea. And all of a sudden they're realizing. This is a God that's not bound by any kind of restrictions. Right? I mean, that's one of the realities as you go through of understanding that this God is not bound. He is the God of the world. He's not the God of any more gods. But the sailors didn't know what the result would be until they threw him over because he right. didn't come until he was there. So you know, they'd already tried everything else. Right. So let's why not just try this, you know? Right. And we had discussed that from uh, Jonah's point of view is that first he had uh, disobeyed God. Right. And then he's okay with it because he's asleep during the storm. It's not bothering him, is it? Right. And then suddenly when they come to him and they decide, he says, okay, I, I confess, so it's me. So he, I think he was going to die rather than go to <laughs> This makes me think of how God can use our tragedies for his good, right? Like yeah. Jonah made this terrible decision to run the other way, but that decision led these sailors to realize for the first time the power of the true God. And how many people did they then go out and tell that the God of the Hebrews is not bound by borders? So, like, God used that situation to... You were eavesdropping, weren't you? No, because this was my one scene that I'm confusing right. to me, was that they know how powerful this God is, but yet they don't believe, you know, they don't, they're not, 
worshiping him already. Like they obviously know who he is. And then Zach was like, yeah, but there's the whole border thing. So I didn't realize that part. So then I'm like, well, now they're finally worshiping him. They realize, right, that he's not bound. So now they're offering sacrifices and they're making vows. So now in that aspect, well, now God's using this, this terrible decision for his good to now spread that there is a God that can go out of these borders. That's a good point because now Jonah doesn't become the center of this story. God himself is the center of the story. Their prophet is, God's prophet is nothing to brag about, but God himself is. I know we're supposed to stay in chapter one. We <laughs> <laughs> just stop there. I'm just saying, God is a God that second chance. You know, it's, it's interesting, though, that, that all these sailors, everybody on that boat, knew why Jonah was on that boat. He said he was going away from God because he doesn't want to do it. God, and they had no regard at that point at all. Or they wouldn't have let him on the boat. Right. If, if there had been any fear of God, you know, they said, well, don't come to us if you're running away from God. Right. And we, we have any regard for him. How angry. <clears throat> How angry do you have to be to do what Jonah does? How hurt do you have to be to do what Jonah does? I just wonder. You were talking about deconstruction. I just, I think as we go through, what we find is Jonah's legitimately livid with God. He is livid. Exactly. Why would you ask me to go to those people? Like he's just livid. How compassionate is God that he would not leave Job to go his own way? Right. It, I think he, God probably has more respect for Balaam's ass for Jonah. Well, let's, but let's talk about that, though. But let's talk about that. Is the storm because God is angry too? Is the storm there as a punishment? The correction was. It wouldn't have to be because of the end product. I mean, where it ends up. Yeah. Both are saved. I see it as discipline and punishment. Yes. Yes. He disciplines in unique ways for our good. Or it's just the mechanism showing his power. Why doesn't doesn't God just let Jonah go to Tarshish and live out his days? Pick somebody else. And pick somebody else. Because that's that's an option, right? Raise up a different problem. It's an option. God could just be like, fine, Jonah, if you want to go, go. I will give you what you want. And then he could raise up another prophet to go. But instead, there's storms and there's pagan sailors who become insanely sensitive to the spiritual realities of what's happening. Right? Picture of God's. But that would not have fulfilled God's plan. God's plan was that 
Jonah would. Jonah had free will, but he knew that Jonah would make this choice. And that there were things that uh, Jonah put into place that he didn't realize or expect to, like the conversion of the sailors. You know, like um, the storm and God proving himself to these people that were pagans. You know, that story had to be played out at that time. I think it was to build strength in Jonah, maybe. Like, because sometimes that's what needs to happen. <laughs> we need to go through all the storms. <laughs> There's a... Like that to like... But then are we saying that the storm was part of God's plan? I think, it, and then it opened the eyes of unbelievers too. So I don't. I just think he gives us choices. So that was Jonah's choice. He could have he could have went on with no problem and not being angry or whatever. But God gives us choices. Right. We go this yeah. way, or we can go this way, and God is prepared whichever way we go. I I agree with that. I I, I do. But I think what we're dealing with, and I just wonder, right? I'm not saying I fully understand all of this. I'm saying as you look at this, the length that God is going to, to be able to try to capture the heart of John. Yeah, yeah it wasn't a punishment. It was a wake-up call. It was, you know, I know you're the right person, and I have to do what I can to show you that you're the right and I think that's what I want us to be able to do. I think I want us to be able to wrestle with this a little bit. What is, and I think one of the questions I don't want us to answer right now, but I want you to sit with it for the next two or three days. What is God's end goal in this? Okay? And then, if you look at the book, just think through how much of this book is actually about Nineveh? And how much of this book is actually about Jonah? Yeah. And Jonah's struggles. And God trying to work with his prophet. So just as we go through, just sit with that. I also think there's just a tension in the entire Bible of... God pursuing and mm -hmm. men having choice mm -hmm. and God pursuing and you know theologians have wrestled mm -hmm. with how much of that and where we all land on that and I think that mm -hmm. there is a legitimate mm -hmm. both and right no I, I'm, I'm with you yeah in the New Testament Jesus gives a parable about uh, about he had a hundred sheep and, mm -hmm. and the shepherd there's one that was lost in, in just the links that the shepherd went to find the lost sheep. In the Old Testament is the links that God went to to bring uh, bring his lost sheep, his prophet. Right. We, we, we mentioned the parallels. There's one other story. Not necessarily in the First Testament, but in the Second Testament, where there's a man sleeping in a boat, and there's a storm. And uh, we've got to remember God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does this impact Jesus, the impudence 
of the representative of God's chosen people and to see how much it would take to turn him back to accomplish God's will and then you know a thousand years later here am I Lord uh, I'm going to be broken because there's no other way to fix these men that we created but uh, there's so much just so much there and on a, on a lighter note how would you like to be the director for Chosen that has to flash back to Jonah all these guys I don't understand in the Bible I can read it but how in the midst of a storm with waves crashing over top of them and their boat upside down, how are they having all these meaningful conversations? <laughs> I've never been able to understand that. I just, wait a minute, Lord. You know. So, let, me, let me just say this and then I want us to kind of, I want us to go. I want us to kind of switch into, I want us to, I want us to be able to talk through this. So you guys feel free to kind of talk in your groups. There's a Rich Mullins song that I love. It says, there's a wideness in God's mercy I could not find in my own. And he keeps the fire burning to melt this heart of stone. Through the aching, through the yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught. In the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. Yeah. I just want to propose that in the storm, what you actually have is the reckless, raging fury of the love of God for Jonah. And then we get to walk through, how does this play out with Nineveh? And then we get to walk through, how does this play out with Jonah? And you are meant to read one of the Old Testament parallels that with Jesus calling the sea, you were meant to read Jonah against that. There's a couple other ones too, right? But the way that, especially in Mark, the way that he phrases the language, the stuff, it's a Jonah callback. It absolutely is. So let's talk about this for just a little bit. What do we learn about Jonah in this? Stubborn. Stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> Right. He's a little, he's a little fiery. He's a little feisty. Right. I think he's also fearful. None of us not a place you want to go. Yeah. Right. I think he's conflicted. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Well, he's a prophet, so he's had some <laughs> prior interaction with God. And we don't know what that is. We don't know what his backstory is. Mm -hmm. um, and so that informs where he is now, where we see him. But, you know, there's still unanswered questions. You know, the, the one of the times, it's like the one time Jonah pops up in Kings is he makes a prophecy that God is going to extend the borders of Israel and God is going to yeah. I think it shows he's human right. even though he's a prophet he's still human he can get scared fearful 
and get upset and not want to I want something to go. So. I think is he feels justified in what he's doing too. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that most prophets, at least the major ones, I mean, they feel you can tell they're compelled to say what God tells them to say. They, whether it's easy to hear or not, they're compelled to say it. Where he has no desire to say what God wants him to say. We have a question. Yeah. I, I, I may or may not have an answer. Oh. <laughs> Where does it say that he was a prophet? I'm not convinced he was a prophet. Um, in, his story is in with the minor prophet books. Right. But I'm myself not convinced that Jonah was actually well, a prophet. But okay, so what I would say is, uh, um, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, "That is prophetic language. That is what. That is when God speaks to His prophets in the Old Testament. That is the language. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Um, and the word of the Lord came to Gideon. The word of the Lord came to um, Isaiah. Right. So." Part of it is, is that phraseology means that he is a prophet. And we do find there is a Jonah that is referred to in Kings, and he is called a prophet, right? And I think part of it is, is that this book is meant to make us wrestle with how in the world can a prophet, right? Because Jonah's response seems very unprophetic, right? It just does. Right? That's why that's why I was talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, right? You know immediately in that movie it's going to be different than any other Marvel movie that came before. And right here, you know in the first couple of like you know in the first couple of lines, right? That there's something weird, right? The word of the Lord comes and he says, Go and do this, like go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness had come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of he also knew that by being yeah. thrown into the sea, he was prophetic in that he knew that he would come. So, you know, and that was in itself a prophetic. Uh, yep. I just have something else from just a mental health standpoint. You wonder if he was already depressed. You know, we kind of show some depression later in the story, but the fact that he didn't, he just maybe didn't have the energy or the the motivation to, to go either where he was supposed to go, but then he was already sleeping on the boat. I mean, that's another thing of, of you know, kind of a, a sign there. And so it just makes me wonder about that too, if that was something that he struggled with and played into the story. So, so I would say let's hold that. I think that's a great question. Yes. Let's hold that until chapter four. <laughs> let's bring that back up. I was going to say kind of similar. I feel like with chapter one, we learn a couple things about Jonah, but I think in my mind, mostly we just have questions about Jonah. And I think when we get to his prayer in chapter two, and we get to his response in chapter four, some of those questions get answered, I think, in some cases, I think in a very negative way. But right now, it's mostly just questions, like, why would he do this? And why would he say that? And, and I think we have to wait for the rest of the book to find some answers. Yeah. So in chapter one, what do we learn about God? Persistent. It's not a cookie cutter. It's not a cookie cutter situation. Like he uses different situations. You don't want to always be the same. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's you don't powerful. Want to mess with him. He's persistent. Persistent. 
Yeah, he's going to go after you no matter what you decide. Yeah. Exactly. I was saying, you know, God does allow us to make choices. Mm -hmm. But when God's will is set, God's will is set. Right. And he didn't let Jonah go. Even, mm -hmm. Joel, Joel, even though he allowed Jonah to make a decision, he still went after Jonah and said, no, Jonah. Mm -hmm. So God is, allows us choices. But in some cases, he pulls us back in because... Right. That was what I decreed. That was my will. Yeah. And that's right. what you're going to do. And how much is God planted in me? Mm -hmm. And how, to what extent is he willing to go to bring it out?
Yeah, we can. We'll talk. We, I think we're we're kind of time at this point, but we'll 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 kind of track that and walk through that. Let me pray for us and then. Okay. God, we thank you for who you are. Um, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you for the way that we get to wrestle with it. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak. That you that you would. Um, that you would show us who you are, that you would reveal to us, Lord Jesus, the ways that you work in our lives. Um, and God, may we, may we find ourselves and be reminded of the story that you called us to. Just the breadth and the width of your grace and the way that you are at work in our lives to form your character in us. God, we're grateful for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.